Hi everyone! Welcome to Journey of the Unordinary, a podcast where we will carry out intimate conversations with our guests to learn about their journeys to where they are today. In each episode, we'll cover where they grew up, what are some pivotal moments in their life, and their approach in life in general. I'm Jackie, a Chinese-born New York City living girl who's perpetually on a hunt for her childhood hometown food from Kunming. And I'm Chuxing, a Chinese-born Sydney living girl who loves exploring life and making meaningful connections. In this season, we bring you ten episodes of ten guests centered around tech and data. Join us to uncover their unique path of these beautiful, unordinary people. Find a piece of yourself in their stories, and let their adventure inspire you. Hi, everyone! Welcome to the fourth episode of Journey of the Unordinary. Today, we are very, very excited to have Denning, a true Web three data queen, with us today. So, um, we first—I—I oh, I actually first got to know Denning online. On chain, um, through the our network learn and doing like Web three intro to data, um, that was almost two years ago. And then I think last year I met Danny in person in Berlin, and I think we got to know each other more through our <laughs> like chat uh, in Mexico City this year. So yeah, welcome Danny. Thank you, thank you, Georgina and Jackie. I'm really excited about this podcast because um, I watched a few episodes,、uh, the one before and. Was interesting to know their side story and like, you know, just be more personal and stuff. So yeah, I I'm a very TMI person, so like excited to be personal. <laughs> we love it. We love it. <laughs> so、uh, before we dive into the conversation, can you briefly introduce yourself to those who might not know you? Yeah,、uh, my name is Danning. I am a, currently a data scientist at Flashbots for five six months now and. Before that, I was a data scientist at Xerox for almost three years, and before that, I was a data scientist as well、um, in Consensus, which is also a Ethereum um, ecosystem um, incubator startup.、So. Nice data scientist all the way in crypto.、Uh, all right, so first question: Where did you grow up?、Uh, I grew up in a small town in China. That's like between. Two major city, I would say, Nanjing and Shanghai, and、um, closer to Nanjing. My hometown is very small, but it's like one million population. You know, like every city in China,、um, and then it's the manufacturer center for glasses. So, like, you know, the glasses across the world, everything is made in China, and like the Gucci, Prada, those kind of brand、uh, glasses, also from my hometown. And so, like, every time when I actually go go back to my hometown, I will buy. Like twenty pairs of glasses and come back is like so much cheaper there. Wow! Wait, Danny. So how many pairs of glasses you have? Is it sunglasses or is it like、uh, glasses like, without prescription? Actually, with pres prescriptions, and I have like maybe fifteen at my home right now. Because like I'm also very careless with glasses.、Um, I guess it's because easy to access for me all the time. So, yeah. Wow. Wait. So you were. You wear prescription glasses. Yeah,、oh, yeah, yeah.、Okay. I I'm wearing. Got it. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Technology. Modern technology. <laughs> <laughs> Then, um, so what, when was the time that you, um, you moved to the U.S.? I moved to U.S. in 2016 when I finished 
college and then I went to get to um, graduate school in New York. Um, so I had a mathematics major in my undergrad because my parents want me to do it because, you know, that's everything how it is in China. <laughs> like, yeah. And um, so I did the mathematics undergrad. I'm really like a mediocre student, I would say. Um, and then uh, by the time I was graduating, there's a few options. Um, either I can uh, work in China. I got an offer from Alibaba. So either work in Alibaba or apply for a graduate school. Um, I got an offer also from like a, like a school program that has like some partnership with our undergrad from Netherlands, which is supposedly also a cheaper tuition and everything. Um, and I, meanwhile, I was taking like the language test and then GRE, like TOEFL and GRE for US graduate schools. And my dad was insisting me saying like, if we're spending the money for tuition for graduate school, then you should aim for the, you know, the better um, education or like the better school that you can aim for. So I, I applied and then um, surprisingly got an offer from Columbia. I never really think I could go. Um, so I went, yeah, um, in 2016. So. All right, so your parents, you said that your parents wanted you to study mathematics. Were they in mathematics? Why did, why did they want you to study mathematics? Yeah, I mean, it's it, like some advice from their friends who have kids that's like having really good career. And so they so advised them saying, your daughter should also go to math mathematics and then trying to go to like a financial engineering and then so to get a quant job so it can make good money. That's like a typical philosophy in China. So, um, But then I actually, I got to um, a relatively good university in China um, Zhejiang University, it's in Hangzhou, um, in the south. I try to get out of my hometown because I want to stay away from parents as, like, I don't know, like, when you were in high school, it's like, you're so, you had so much enough, like, of your parents, like, just, like, supervising, like, um, they they tell you what to do every day in China. So, like, I wanted to keep distance from my parents, and so I went to this school. Um, supposedly, this is top three, um, or, like, number three in uni uh, in China. Um, besides Peking and Tsinghua University. But the reality is there's like 10 universities claim that they are number three in China. So I don't know really if it's number three. Um, so um, I went to the uh, university and then um, the first year of the university was actually like, you don't choose major, you just choose like a larger category. So I went to like the, I guess like the science or like, yeah, the, the college there and then um, the next, the second year, you choose your major based on your GPA, and then, but then I didn't get like a high enough GPA, so I didn't get into statistics, which supposedly is a track you go to maybe financial engineering in the future. Um, I actually got like basically fall back into a, like a not popular major that's called in information and computation mathematics, which actually surprisingly like take off like three years later when big data become a thing. So like. <laughs> Yeah, so um, like what we learned was like um, computational math and like some programming as well for like data analytics. And then so like by the time I was graduating, like 2016, like big data, data analytics was a big thing and machine learning as well. And so I just applied a data science program uh, in US, which was also very early back then for the data science program. It was like the second year when Columbia had that program. Um, yeah. So Danny, just a follow up question what given all the kind of parents guidance about your university major and your future career i wonder for the younger danning what would she like to become 
Yeah. Um, when I was in like primary school or like secondary school, um, I think I I found myself like better at probably like Chinese as a sub subject or like writing um, and like. Yeah, it, it, what's the thing you call like when you have the Chinese exam and then in the last part you have like you write a big article and then oh, I like I, an essay and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wrote good stuff there, like a very like emotional or touching kind of story always, and get get read by the uh, teacher, etc. Um, also pretty good at like English, I I would say. Um, my mom somehow always emphasized like oh, English is important, etc. So, um, you know there is a a representative for each subject in the class. How you call that in English? Like no idea. representative. No idea. The person basically collect all the homework from from everyone, like just like distribute stuff for the teacher. So I was a representative for like English always. Um, so I would say I was like more um, intuition based kind of subject. I'm more like emotional side of brain person um yeah so it, like mathematics is definitely the other way um compared to what i'm good at actually um when i was so i think like when i was very young i, I thought about like hmm i want to be an interpreter um being like united nations so that sounds like a very novel job you know like the person who's going to be like translating everything like in those like very important meetings across the world etc but um yeah, so I wanted to go to like a, a foreign language school, like Beiwai, but my parents was like, language is a tool, you should go to like blah, 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 something else. So yeah, I didn't get to go to that. And then when I was in college, I actually got into this very niche like hobby. So we have this um, drum circle society in my undergrad, um, which is um, a group of friends. We play djembe, which is like a West African drum. It's like a percussion, a percussion. I'm sure you've seen it in like on the streets, like when people circle around and they play the drum together. Um, um, I was really fascinated by it because I think in general, my younger ages were very, um, I don't know, like suppressed by my parents. And so when I saw those people were like playing the drums, like very free spirits and like kind of letting go of themselves is like, totally the opposite is like I really want to walk out of the box of myself like all the constraints around me and like how how my parents forced me to do things so I joined that drum circle and like we have a drum band and like bonded really well and you uh you learn about like West African uh, West African culture so because the reason we play is like the traditional reason um it's not like popular song in percussion only it's like actually a reason say in the village how they welcome people from outside to visit them or they have a newborn or there's a, new, a full moon and they have a, a ceremony or there's like harvesting or it's like fishing or like blacksmiths the the way they they hammer the stuff and actually um how to say uh compose the reason etc so like i was really into that and um and then i wanted to be like african dance teacher <laughs> but my parents is like going crazy for sure. And then, uh, yeah, anyway, um, then I went to graduate school. I actually keep learning that um, after I get to New York because actually all the best teacher from um, for that thing, um, it, it's the, the thing we learn is from Guinea, a West African country. Um, a lot of teachers are living in New York. So I went to their classes and I go to like an annual camp where um, they teach uh, classes. 
together with like Brazilian music and um, Afro-Cuban music, etc. Um, I initially was playing the djembe mostly, but then um, it was really heavy to carry when I was like in New York, like through the whole subway, etc. So I switched to more like doing the dance because the drum and the dance is always together. So like um, the the drum actually the drummer is playing for the dancer. So like the dancer, they are actually the the whole the whole point, right? Like they're in the center and like doing freestyle and solo, and um, the drummers. Um, there are solo drummers who are on the percussion. There's also like a drum set, uh, different from like the, the the jazz drum set, but it's like three different sides of like very traditional drum on like some wooden stack. And then that that's actually the um, lower drum set for this whole thing. And then how the dancer moves on the hands are mostly like the solo from the, the djembe soloer. And then how they, they tap on their feet is actually from the melody of those three drum set. So it's like a whole thing. And it's like, I mean, I think some people actually use it as like music therapy or like some coordination kind of thing. And like it, it helps you to learn how to do teamwork. I mean, if you work you playing a band, you really need to like know how other people's rhythm are and like coordinate and stuff. So, so yeah, I really like that. And it connects with people. So. Sorry for a long speech. <laughs> no, no, that was so interesting to learn. I feel like it's, I mean, we're all Chinese and then there's like so many similarities. <laughs> like I, because I remember I also was really good at Chinese and English and I was also a representative for English. Um, yeah. And then I'm just curious also. So when I was growing up, like my parents forced me to go to a lot of extracurricular activities, like different dances, calligraphy, whatnot. So did that connect with how you later on discover this, how did you call it? The something drum, the flambe? Oh, djembe. Djembe, uh, yeah, yeah. So did you do a lot of activities that were kind of related to djembe when you were young? Or? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I would say the thing that my parents forced me that contribute to my today would be really like my, my mom asked me to like uh, study well about English. I guess, right? Like, otherwise I wouldn't be getting here. Um, I think I, I did participate in a lot of those like extracurricular thing. I was running long distance for our school, like when I was in primary school, you know, like 1,500 meter for for like, yeah, primary school students. So I was doing that. I'm, I'm kind of short. I'm, I'm not the taller one. So I was always training with some taller girls. They are doing like the 50 meters because they are really long legs and like they, they run really, they sprint really well. And I, I'm I'm the one that's like running the longer one, the uh, longer distance. Yeah, it's just like more like, I don't know, like if you can keep up in the end and like trying to like speed up a little bit. Yeah, but I felt it's really lonely. I don't know, to run the long distance. So I didn't like it. Um, I was also in, I was in drawing as well. I was drawing. And then um, the teacher asked me to draw the egg for like a whole year. And then like, you know, like Da Vinci, <laughs> draw the egg. And then I was drawing the egg. And then next year he was finally like, okay, now you can draw a beer bottle. And I, was like, I don't know, I, I didn't feel encouraged because I was drawing the whole, the same thing like for like a whole year. Um, and I was also playing pipa. So like that's a traditional Chinese, um, like a Chinese guitar, I would say, but like a traditional, like it's also like very, fair lady image because like my parents want me to be a, like a girl like an actual girl but like but the way they raised me is also like a tomboy so like what do you want me to do you know like you know like um when I was younger my parents when 
was not like wealthy so like a lot of the clothes are donated from like older kids not like i'm not like taking donation that level kind of <laughs> poor but like you know when, when parents they have friends their their kids just like two two years older than me and they will just like pass down the clothes to me and so like it's a lot of a lot of time it's like boys clothes so i'm like you what do you want me to do you know like i'm wearing like boys clothes but you also want me to be like fair lady girl like yeah so yeah i i learned a bunch of stuff there but i don't think they directly related to Yanbei. i would say really it's actually the contra contradictory thing where they were asking me to do too many things and restricting me to do things made me want to do something wild and so i thought that the Yanbei looked pretty wild and i wanted to join those people so wow dang but um, I'm also curious, like, how do you think your childhood shaped who you are now? Is it like, are you becoming, a, I wouldn't say complete opposite, but what you are doing right now is like yeah. coming out of a re- like reason that happened to you previously when parents just giving you all this kind of guidance, instructions and influence. And now you're just deciding everything yourself and be much more free spirit. Yeah, I think yeah, I think how that shaped me today would be basically made me rebellious, and then like crypto is pretty rebel, you know, right? Like it's a bunch of rebels, rebellious people who don't believe in government and don't want to be told what to do, and they wanna they want a like transparent system and like a governance system where they 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 can see everything and like everyone has uh, the power to decide what to do. When when you got into crypto, uh, that was like around wait twenty seventeen, around that time. Yeah. How did you how did you tell your parents about it? Uh, right. Um, I I don't think I've told my parents it's a crypto company. I think crypto wasn't. Uh, they probably had no idea what crypto is. And I think twenty seventeen cryptos scammy image wasn't even yet there in China. So I don't think they had any idea. Um, I just told them the, how to say the, uh, the way I told them is really like okay I found a job that I can stay in U.S. so so that like I can you know work here for a few more years because that I was a very typical Chinese student mindset back then still um, it's like um, you get to here um, uh, you get here for graduate school and most most typically if you are able to find a job to stay in U.S. Potentially, even if you want to go back to China in the future, um, your work experience here will help you to get a better job back when you're back in China. So, like, if you're able to stay here, then you would want to find a job here first. So they were happy that I found a job um, to stay. So really, what I told them is like, I found a job in this startup uh, consensus. Um, I think it was like maybe a few years later, maybe 2020, There are more like news about oh, cryptos mainly scam or like a lot of like you know bad thing happen um then my parents were i think uh, my dad he he's more informed about everything happening in the world like there's a firewall in china so but but he knows some computers so he knows how to build like a vpn and actually like watch youtube and google and so he was like if the relatives on the table when you know always they meet when they are having like a holiday dinner or something right and then uh, yeah and we're like why is she still not coming back and also has she found a boyfriend all these kind of questions and then like my dad would be like you don't know shit about crypto it's actually revolutionary etc so my back uh, my dad had had my back you know my mom is more like really 
oh, okay, I'm worried. And like, she's just like more influenced by those things. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know, like, have you, so you said that back then you were just kind of like following the path. You go to school and then you decide to find a job and stay here. So nowadays, what's your mindset? Do you want to stay in the U.S. for long term? Do you want to go back to China? Where are you at? Yeah, um, I think I definitely, for for what I can see today, I want to stay here um, because China pretty much banned everything about crypto or like blockchain industry. And really, if they even allow um, blockchain technology to grow, it's going to be somewhat probably controlled by the government, like um, CBDC or like, yeah, central bank digital assets or something. And and is this really going to be what blockchain actually wants? I kind of doubt it, highly doubt it. So I don't think I'll go back for career wise. So pretty much, yeah, we'll stay here. Um, it's, it's sad for my parents because it's only child for me. And then they only, yeah, so they are they kind of lonely there so they might also want to come here in the future and like visit it between so and so it sounds like you really went into crypto for this rebellious idea yeah. so maybe can you share more about what's attracting you so much like why you why you believe in crypto so much yeah um i will say it's it's multi-dimensional like in general it's First of all, I think like it's it's the place that fits my personality. Like it's a bunch of people who are very rebellious and also um, into niche things, and then um, people are very cool and then like open minded. And you talk to, pe- to people online, and then you become friends, and just like in no time, and that that's something I really vibe with. And then second is that I think it definitely um, ide- uh, ideology wise. Um, a lot of the thinking about like society and governance are the things I've never thought about before um, because I grew up in China. It's like, um, okay, I feel like I shit on China too much, but it's 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 fact, okay? It's like um, the way you learn things really is not, I think is not the right way to learn things. It's not really critical thinking about exploring what you want and what you like. It's pretty much, oh, other people are doing this, then, oh, okay, that's a good path you should follow. And just like, everyone's playing in the game while not like trying to create a game or like change the game or like create their own game um it's like okay there's a game that looks like very very profitable to play and then you figure out what's a formula and then you just do stuff like one typical example is like people in um like me who came here for uh, graduate school and try to find a job to stay is like okay going backwards what's the best way easy way to to find a job to stay here software engineer and then okay let me just do lead code to, so so to get through all the interviews okay well the easiest one to get interview is amazon let me go to amazon and then later go to google and then facebook it's like so typical like i i i mean i understand but then yeah i i pretty much pretty much want to get out of it and the crypto is like pretty much the opposite and a lot of i think mostly i hang out with a lot of colleagues who are like european in my first job and then when we were in offside and some french colleagues are like shitting on their government so hard is like the surveillance so bad and like the camera shouldn't be uh, um, like installed everywhere and I was like why do you care about that and they were so surprised they were like why you not care about that and I was like I grew up in China the cameras everywhere and I'm fine like government didn't do anything to me so like I have trust in my government so why do you why do you have no trust to your government and then they're like no this is not about that right right and it's like um 
through those deba- debates, I realized, okay, like democracy or like basically human rights, it's it's not about like if the government did anything to you or it's it's if they can do anything to you, it's like the bottom line. And so, so I think sort of like it's proven during COVID, like there was like shutdown for two months in Shanghai. Um, and a lot of people, I think of our generation today is like, was like pretty frustrated and realized they cannot even choose to like, you know, go out and find food or whatever. Like they just basically was forced because of like government decision. And then, but then meanwhile, the, how to say the facility and then like the service was not good enough, uh, how to say prepared enough to actually serve the decision, you know? So like a lot of people were locked down inside and like even without food for few weeks, et cetera. So like, it's pretty crazy. And there's another thing um, that made me realize this is crazy that um, our government had the policy of like only child policy. It's like, okay, it makes sense, right? It's like, um, we only, China as a country only were able to like become so economic wise um, powerful or like economic growth because their population control. Um, but now it's like um, people are not having kids and then they're like encouraging people to have two kids if you both are only child. They're like trying to loosen the policy a little by little but then think about that it's like every mom of ours when they get gave birth they just get like iud without consent like inside it's like pretty much like you you are not able to like have another kid like if you're you have another kid you have you get a fine it's like pretty invasive in terms of like personal rights so i realize it's crazy well, what you just said reminds me of lots of things I thought about to myself and maybe like for whoever that grew up in China that we take things for granted and all the like the society and the structure and the yeah, system yeah. because when you get out of it, then you will start realize, oh, is that right? Or maybe does that even make sense at all? Um, something that reminds me is like, for example, privacy. I had discussion about with friends about like privacy and I was like, yeah, you know, like in China, there's security cameras ev- everywhere. But originally I thought, I mean, I'm okay as long as it keeps me safe because I'm a good citizen and I don't think that's going to affect me. But then if you think about it from another perspective, that means oh, anyone can do anything with a security camera and they can turn black into white or white into black in whichever way that they want to. So yeah. if I I don't know, but you guys probably have read about like uh, the uh, the 1984 thing and then you realize a lot of, yeah, a lot of things are like just very intertwined yes. and relatable. And sometimes it's hard to unwire, but yeah, that's just <laughs> how I think about it. Um, but yeah, yeah. now coming, yeah, I've, I've, I've always thought about like, because we all come right now, like outside of China, but I always have this, parallel universe about what if I continue staying in China, what would that be? So what 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 Danny would be on the parallel universe if you continue staying in China? Like what would your, I don't know, life path, career path or whatever, just like in an imaginary kind of world, like a parallel universe. <laughs> like a senior data scientist in Alibaba <laughs> with two kids maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I think yeah. If I stayed in China, I will probably stay in Alibaba, and then uh, probably data still. I mean, they had a blockchain team, so maybe I'm there. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I want I wanted to um, echo on what you said, Shushin. Um I have to say, like, um, there's definitely like a 
an upside for being like how the China government are. Like it will like how to say centralized system will be very efficient. Like especially how they controlled control, uh, COVID in the first year. So like efficiency is um, impossible compared to like how US um, are and etc. And like. It, it's true that actually like China society is very safe, right? Like I lost my phone all the time when I was in China and like always there will be someone like somehow get my phone back. Actually, um, if you're in like a major city, it, it's actually pretty safe. And compared to like, say, if you're traveling as a tourist in Europe, like there's a lot of actually pocket picking, etc. And then especially like, in US, it's even crazier with a gun and stuff. Um, so there's definitely upside, uh, upside and downside. And um I, I came to realize that it's really about like how the thinking are behind the ideology. It's like communism or socialism is really like think as a group as a benefit. So it's like if the whole country will benefit from this, they will make that decision instead of like for the individual. Um, and compared to like Western countries, more like individual based. So it's like if, if yeah, if you don't want, then you can choose to not do things. But yeah. Yeah, I agree. It comes to the ideology and sometimes even when these days when I make decisions, I'll be like, do I want to sacrifice myself or uh, for the greater good of the society? I wouldn't say for the society, but just for like the broader community or am I okay just like <laughs> just 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 do everything for myself? And I still kind of continually struggle with that. But also at the same time, I think coming from both sides um, helps us to look at things from different angles so it's not like super singular and we will try to contemplate from different perspectives so i think that's that's the benefit of of that yeah i totally feel that um yeah just like the, i coming on the way you guys were saying like at first i think i was like oh like this whole like centralized system is like good if you as long as you have like a benevolent king basically if the king is really like considering for the people you can really um constitute a lot of policy and like execute on these policy but then it's really like a single point failure like if that person is like not good then kind of like everything goes to shit um but yeah so and then i guess related to that another thing is like we're all away from home but we all have parents that are still at home so sometimes i can like i wonder like who wants to actually be away from your home country when you if you can stay there then i think sometimes like in a parallel universe like you would do that so i'm just wondering for you um when you think about hometown like what do you miss the most about your hometown and like what do you wish that you can bring from your hometown your childhood with you today i miss the food for sure like uh, my hometown is good with um uh, i don't know how to explain this in, in english there is this meat that's like appetizer dish it's called xiaorou i don't know if you know it's like um i don't know how to explain um and then also we have like uh which is nice it's because it, it's more actually a nanjing dish but like we're close to nanjing so yeah i i love the food um yeah do you find anything like equivalently good in in your area or not oh Mm, not quite, not quite. SF, SF is, um, I think there are a lot of Chinese food that's Jackie pretty good in the South Bay, um, but in SF, it's not really. All right, Danny, I also want to ask, you went to school in Columbia in New York, but then you now live in San Francisco. Why did you make the move? I regret the move, but 
the reason I made the move was because um, I switched job from Consensus to Xerox, and um, Xerox had an office in San Francisco, and most of the people were in San Francisco back then in 2020, 2021 still. Um, and then I thought also like crypto people, like DeFi OG, all come from SF, like for example, like Xerox team, DYDX team, um, like open, all, those are all like DeFi OG and then they're all in SF. So I, I wanted to move here and then, yeah. And I moved here and everyone I know that is kind of like crypto OG people moved away to New York. It's like pretty much every time how I buy a token and it's like, I'm buying in the opposite trend, you know, like, yeah, down bad. Um, yeah. And then I moved to SF. Um, what a downgrade compared to New York in terms of like the things to do. Like, you know, um, there's so many new and like nice Instagrammable restaurants and then like exhibition all the time. You can go with your friends with, um, in SF, I feel like a lot of the, the buildings are cute and nice, but it's kind of old. And a lot of everything closed at 9 PM. There's nothing happening afterwards. Um, but I think afterwards I learned to how to appreciate San Francisco more. Like the, the nature is amazing. Um, there's like a trail that's my favorite called Land's End Trail. Um, it, it, the, the, the forest is like ma ma majestic. And it's like, especially during the sunset and with the little bit foggy and the, the sunlight's radiating through the forest is like Alice in Wonderland. And so like the nature is actually amazing in San Francisco. Initially, I thought the weather is a bit too chilly. It's like right below the temperature temperature you can wear a dress. But it's been hotter recently, so I, I think it's it's nice actually now. It's like um, there's no season here. Like there was four seasons in New York, um, which is nice as well. And you feel like a very obvious switching or like checkpoint in every year. Right? Like so, like oh okay, now three months later, past. Um, I need to do like a little bit ritual about what I've done. Um, but in SF, it's just like all year pretty much the same. Um, I think it's somewhat timeless. Actually, makes people. I don't know, like just like bury themselves in work a little bit. I don't know if that's associated, but I feel so. Also, it's like great in the sense that there's not many things to do. So it's like less distraction. So it's like it's pathetic in the way that it's good that you just you just work all day. So <laughs> and OK, uh, OK, I'll, I'll say something good about San Francisco. And so I think New York, the reason why I made the move as well is because I felt getting tired of New York because um, couldn't save any money. And then um, pretty much you're just, you go into all the new and nice stuff. You're just like posting things on Instagram, pretending you have life, you have friends. But really I felt it's harder actually to go deeper with people to be friends. It's like mm, the people you go with is always in a big group. You go to mm, karaoke or having food or you talk about stuff, but you don't really talk about something that's like, okay, life outlook or, or what you want to do or what I want to create or something. It's really, it, it's really about, let's go somewhere, have fun next week. Let's go somewhere and like check this out somewhere, somewhere. And I feel like it's kind of like make me feel like I'm stuck in this phase of my life. And then also just a consumer all the time instead of like, you know, compared to SF, like there is this running joke that like, everyone in SF is a co-founder, right? Like it's funny, it's kind of ironic, but it's kind of true that everyone in SF um, mostly stay here for their career goal and then mm, give a vibe of like a creator vibe. So compared to the consumer vibe in New York, so.
um, yeah, I think that's inspiring as actually. Yeah. But 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 the the the, the drug environment is definitely overwhelming. Um, first of all, it's very sad. Like on the streets, especially in Tenderloin, um, in San Francisco, like there's so, so many people who are like drug addicted and like like they're homeless in New York as well. But like they don't really bother you. They just like trying to find food or something like you don't I don't really feel scared to walk on the, on the street at 2 or 3 a.m. in New York but like in San Francisco during a day I wouldn't even feel safe to walk somewhere uh, somewhere during especially like Market Street or like Tenderloin um because people here like homeless people in San Francisco is like mentally not okay so like they will be shouting or like you also see people doing needling on themselves or taking drugs, like or like hanging there like a zombie and out of consciousness, which is really hurt, hurtful to see as well. Um, so back to what I'm gonna say is like the drug drug accessibility was also overwhelming for me. Like for the first year I was here, um, I never really tried out any like edible stuff, and then so I it, it's 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 legal actually now also in New York, but I think it was illegal when I was back there. Um, it's very legal in um, California. It's it's almost illegal if you don't consume edible. <laughs> I, I'm I'm saying like you know it's not normal almost. And then the funny thing is that like you know like when you order grocery after COVID, like you book through like app and like Amazon Fresh or like We Delivery, and usually you schedule it for like a day or two before or like at least like. A few hours before and they deliver for you like maybe in four hours or five hours and they're like edible 20 minutes it's like the most accessible thing more accessible than grocery <laughs> so it's like really crazy yeah but i, I know how, I, i'm at a better place and I, I know how to like put myself with all these things so like i feel pretty comfortable today yeah not overwhelmed wow. anymore i i still can't imagine myself dealing with those but i remember a few years ago when I was in uh, SF and saw people like doing needling and saw needles on the street and then also like human feces as well is just uh, too overwhelming for me. <laughs> I remember the, the first time I was there getting out of the station and I immediately text my friend back and saying like, why, why are there so many like, yeah, just crazy people out there? Um, yeah, that was that was really overwhelming to me. I think that's um, one problem that China doesn't have. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think the um, another question I've got, um, Danny, what what is your outlook for yourself? Um, I don't know how long the time period will be, but um, let's say maybe in a year's time, what what, what would you like to achieve? Or maybe the outlook, just in general. Yeah, I, I'm currently at Flashbots, which is like a research heavy environment. And I came here because I got, um, how, how to say, I was mostly in DEX because I was in Xerox. And when I was digging the DEX data deeper with some colleagues, and I realized a lot of the slippage that DEX users suffer from is actually from MEV activity. And MEV in general is also like a very intellectual, uh, stimulating topic and a lot of smart people work here. And I really wanted to like go deeper into like MEV research or like PBS research. And so for me, um, after getting here, past few months was most really trying to figure out what's going on in this company and like how 
the data look like in the company and figure out what's what's a, how you the dynamics etc and the coming month i'm actually want i want to go deeper about like some uh MEV research together with uh, another um actually organization i got into which is called tldr defi research um so we're trying to actually write some paper about um some findings in like for example block bidding economics or behavior and so to try to maybe have those papers submitted to more academic platforms and so that that's actually the pitch from tarun which is uh we actually want to make defi research more um how to say acknowledged by academia as well rather than just twitter research so um that's something i'm excited about to contribute more and um we are finally pushing the um product team at flashbots to be able to publish data um publicly and so um in the very near future during dunecon we're actually hoping to share flashbots um on dune so that would be also a very exciting thing um that we're going to be able to push for so yeah soon flashbots data will be on dune um yeah Oh, that's so exciting to hear. Uh, but just back up a little bit for people who don't know, uh, who might not be familiar with the concept of MEV or PBS. Can you quickly explain? Yeah, uh, MEV as uh, used to be minor extractable, minor extractable value, and now is maximal extractable value. Uh, really, I think the easiest way to explain it is like say. Uh, imagine the miners or basically whoever is preparing the transactions to be submitted in a block, they have the vision or they have the power to look at all the transactions and decide how they order. Then they can insert any orders like or transactions by someone asks them or like their own transactions so to benefit from it. Like because the the I think one example why the trend how to say sequencing of transaction will matter is um, you're trading on AMM. And the price of the AMM matters in terms of how, if you are the first one or the, the last one in the block to access it, because it's a curve. And so if you go first, then you get a better price. If you go at the end of the sequence, you, you get a worse price on the curve that because it moves according to every order. And so from here, it's like tons, billions of um, value can be extracted every year. And that's MEV and Flashbots basically built a tool called MevBoost. MEV Boost, um, which is a implementation that's off protocol, um, meaning it's a open source software everyone can run when they run a validator um, to achieve PBS design. So PBS is proposer builder separation um, proposed by Ethereum Foundation, trying to basically, um, how to say, um, prevent the centralization from the superpower from miner after the merge after Ethereum transitioning to, towards proof of stake. And PBS is a theory or like a design, and it's not really implemented in the protocol of Ethereum yet, um, but then MapBoost is a like off protocol implementation, outside of protocol implementation. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Um, and then circling back to the whole idea of um, getting academic adoption. One thing I get super excited about Web3 or crypto side of data thing is, I think there really doesn't need to be a separation between like, oh, Web2, Web3, like academic or Twitter. Like we're all here to enjoy this intellectual discussion and then do good things for people from data point of view. 
Um, so I'm just like, just saying like, I'm so excited to hear more about, hey, there's going to be a paper published. Hey, we're going to like try to get um, academic adoption of all these wonderful things. Okay, so moving on to a bit of life philosophy, how are you different at work versus outside of work? Uh, I think I'm pretty consistent um, inside and outside work. I will say I'm probably more chill outside work, but could be intense at work because I, um, yeah, I think I kind of, I keep the, my communication the same style and that's okay. Like I'm very direct and that's okay in life probably sometimes. And, um, but at work, um, you're supposed to be like very pro- professional speaking and maybe, you know, uh, communicate with people, um, in, with some strategy. Right. But like, I, I think I still like trying to go how I feel like and try, I think that's a way to be genuine. So I, I try to be genuine. So I sometimes give people harsh comments. Um, so, to answer your question, I think I'm kind of the same, actually, but it's different effect. <laughs> so, Danny, I'm very curious about what's your approach towards work-life balance? Because we know that in the industry that you're working, a lot of people somehow seem like they're working 24-7 and always full of steam. Um, I wonder, are you that kind of working style person or w- what is your approach to that? Yeah, I'm definitely not a 24-7 person. And I I feel like, it, I think this is true for a lot of people. It's like you feel like you can hustle and stay overnight or like pull pull up a full night uh, when you are a new grad. Maybe I, I think I was like that maybe the first two, three years after um, I joined work. But nowadays I'm like less and less really and uh, like that and able to hustle. I, I think it's somewhat also tied to like you grow your confidence about your value at the company is like when you were more junior you're like oh shit i really need to get this down i was like am i getting fired i don't know and then like now it's like i can do that tomorrow morning they won't fire me <laughs> so um yeah I, I feel like i'm definitely less and less of a hustle kind of person um i think um i do have some problem i want to improve as well on that aspect actually my time zone is pretty bad like i mean west coast and so pretty much when I wake up, all the people in the Europe and then like in East Coast already like bombed me with all the messages. And so my whole morning is meeting with Europe and then like replying messages and stuff. And like, I feel exhausted after lunch time. And I'm like, oh, let me take a nap. And then I'm like, I'm gonna take a nap of like a whole afternoon or something. And then like scroll on TikTok. And then like until evening, I'm like, oh shit, I need to get something done today. And then like I start another session probably like 7 p.m. till midnight. So pretty much my effective working hour is actually like morning plus evening. Uh, but then you feel like you don't have a life because uh, you feel like you wake up and then it's like really early for me, like 7.30 or 8 a.m. Um, to have a call with Europe. And then um, you have maybe an afternoon to relax, but it's really like, oh shit, I'm so tired. I want to relax rather than, hmm, I'm planned, I, I'm planned with my uh, own time and I want to do this or that. And then evening you're doing things again until you sleep. So it's like you wake up and work and you, you work before until you sleep. Um, but I think it's more of like a problem that I can totally manage to, to do better at. Um, I feel like also during the weekends, I'm like, there are a lot of things I haven't finished. I want to work on some stuff. Or if there's a work, no work stuff, I'll be like, hmm, I want to write a blog post, but I never really wrote a blog post past year and um 
actually, yeah, the weekends are like either my friends ask me to go a hike or like meet up, and otherwise I'm like at work do some uh, pro pro uh, procrastinated stuff. Um, but yeah, I also think I'm not definitely not like effectively working twenty four seven, so that's a big problem. <laughs> I don't know if anybody can effectively work all the time. Don't think that's a that's a thing. But um, I don't know if you guys also have this feeling. Um, because like in crypto, there's so many conferences every year, and it's great benefit because you pretty much travel for free with you know attending events. And you, I for me, it's like mm, I want to stay maybe a few more days and just like maybe visit to the city a bit. But really, you end up actually you never really take actual vacation to anywhere for travel. You pretty much actually are traveling for work all the time.、Um, I don't know if that contributes to some burnout a little bit as well. But can't complain.、Yeah. It's already very good benefit. So. Yeah, I, I I think I find the waking up early part definitely relatable to me because、uh, I'm currently in Australia, and then if I want to connect with my colleagues on the East Coast, then I have to wake up super early. Normally, I sometimes I start my meeting at seven as well, and then two hours later, it's only nine a.m. But then I feel like ah,、oh, I'm so tired and also so hungry, and then <laughs> same that would be like I need a nap. Um, and then and then you start working again, but it feels less efficient because you spend your morning time taking a nap, and then you start it late in the afternoon, and then you realize you're tired again. So yeah, <laughs> and then related to the conference part. I I don't think I've been to as many conferences as you do, but I think every time when you go to a conference, you feel like there's a there's an injection of energy, injection of ideas for that entire week of meeting all the people, and then after that, you realize, oh, that was good, but then also at the same time, physically and mentally exhausted as well.、Um, but yeah, Jackie, what what is your kind of、uh, like experience related to that? Yeah,、um, the morning part totally. I. I think outside of crypto, when I used to do like a normal web two job, like I tend to have my meetings toward the second half of the day, precisely because I get so tired from the meeting. Because the I think the meeting is like actually you gotta participate, and it's a lot of like social energy as well.、Um, so I like them in the afternoon, but I think in just the nature of like you gotta talk to your colleagues, it doesn't really quite work out, and I definitely struggle with that. I think as much as you want to. So I think my way is like some days I try to block up like let's say Tuesdays, like do not have meetings Tuesday. It doesn't quite work out, but it kind of helps.、Um, and then, yeah, conference. I don't go that much, but I, yeah, I agree. Like, I think it's actually、um, like you're constantly like needing to adjust for the time zone, and then you have your live routine at your home city. And then when you go to conference, like you kind of that that routine gets disrupted, so you again have to come back home and establish that.、Um, actually, so related to kind of like working a lot, like finding value. I want to ask Danny this question:、um, How do you Like what do you? How do you define? I guess value or goal in in life. Like what do you find your energy from? Maybe that's two questions. Let's go with value first. Yeah. Like what do you think the 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 meaning of life is? Yeah, I think in a very general sense,、um, like creating something impactful or feel that yourself is impactful is, you know, the the principal thing. And、um, to be like more specific, I feel like. What do I find valuable of myself? Like when when you when when I was more of a junior person, it's more like, oh, I did this data and then informed everyone about something they don't know, and everyone's like, wow, oh, I didn't know that, wow, and、um, that's that's when I feel I'm helpful. So I feel like I was、uh, a data person who reply 
or respond for requests and then help people. So it's more like being helpful. Or that's I think that's also also ties to some aspect of my people pleaser part. So it's like you feel like oh people are happy after um, they get something from you and then okay nice. Um, but then over time I feel like it also change. Um, I can see I I feel like I'm also attracted by attention and like or like fame in crypto Twitter. So like saw people posting and um, like some KOL and like. I I follow I think um, people like Tarun and Tom were the early people in my career who I was following and I feel like hmm that that's a good example I can follow and so I was doing something like throw some data and insights sometimes make some meme uh, like you know learning from the masters um, so I feel like I was chasing for some you know Twitter presence for a while um, when, and I felt like hmm, yeah that that's kind of valuable thing to do here and. It's open and also it's a, you know, early early industry and um, you should leverage everything as an open platform and it does bring a lot of value for sure. Um, like you know, people get to know and want to like say Andrew get to know I know data Dex data and want to collaborate with me and um, yeah. But now and, and at this point, I, I think it's definitely a transitioning thing and I, now I feel like the the crypto uh, crypto Twitter fame thing is a little bit of vanity. And so I think now I really want to probably like do some like, for example, the research paper thing. Um, I want to like potentially trying to push the boundary of like something in this industry further to to help. Um, yeah, and in general, I think I am definitely attracted by like attention and stuff. And but I want to be known by my work rather than say, oh, there is this person and like everyone knows her for no reason or whatever. I I want to be known for. You know my work so um. yeah I guess fo- following up on that um, I see myself as kind of people pleaser still like this many years into work I really enjoy it when I can deliver some insights and that they're like oh it's really helpful but I also recognize if I always chase that or the crypto fame I guess in a way then you kind of miss more I guess in my mind more foundational Thing, like the thing that's more important like okay you actually push the boundary of crypto into academic so like in your mind do you have maybe a framework or some guiding principle that you're following when you know hey like maybe my current way uh, of doing things like needs to change a little bit where like I want to kind of move along this path mm. um, I think it's really some like periodical retrospect and like for example I I was looking back and like say the reason why I really want to please people is because I need validation and I had had imposter syndrome and it's like I don't know if I'm good enough etc and and then I feel like over the time in my career I feel more and more confident about what I know as probably the best knowledge now like across the people that I know as well like for example say um I think I know all the people who query on Dex.trades and the knows the, uh, who knows the best about Dex.trades. Dex. And so like, uh, I'm like more, feel more confident about my skills. And so less of like uh, validation and people pleasing. And um, I think constantly you pretty much um, trying to find your inspiration around people around you. And I found like, for example, when I was studying into MEV or PBS, I was like, that is the person who, oh, especially also went back in Xerox and a lot of like legendary person in Xerox, they were like, the, the way they got introduced is like, 
he's actually the one who wrote a white paper who actually pretty much designed curve stable coin design back in Xerox days or something. And that person actually um, contributed to a lot of like EIP um, in the early days and created that EIP. And I was like, wow, I want to potentially um, have some value like that. It's like, say, in the future, someone would know me by something actually exists in the protocol, in Ethereum, et cetera. So um, to answer the question, I think it's really maybe just retro and like look around you and who, who you admire and trying to find the value inspiration. So in the interest of time, Danny, I'm going to ask you the very last question of this episode. What do you think your superpower is? Um, yeah, I think I would say it's the way I feel like how I connect with people. And I feel like um, there's a lot of things, aspects around that. For example, I tend to be funny in our Slack and I should post a lot, uh, but people are not annoyed by it. People always find it's re- uh, relatable and for things I post. And then sometimes I become, I have this, I, I feel like the way I present myself to, around people is like sometimes very uh, strong opinion, but really, you know, just um, weakly held. And But then people will be like, that's hilarious or like, Sometimes I, um, yeah, I, I feel like through those strong opinions, um, I, I am able to communicate my feedbacks also in like very direct way back in my day-to-day work. So um, I really enjoyed, um, for example, back in Xerox day, I had this data, uh, colleague who is a data engineer. He lives in Mexico and I had to go to Mexico for renew my visa. So I basically visited them um, for two weeks and stayed in their home and um, I feel like I really connect and they, he and his wife um, through like a, um, you know, adventure for, we, we went to canyoneering for my birthday. Um, yeah, I get to know a lot of like local cultural, like in Mexico, et cetera. And um, I feel like connecting with people is a strength of mine. And um, that also with that foundation that made me able to like, communicate very directly and say this is bad this is good this is this is not okay with our work and um i think this is a better way to do that and people are not offended because you you really connect and bonded already um so yeah i think that that's a good thing i do wonderful thank you danning for for today um i guess where do you think people can learn more about you um i always should post on twitter and sometimes there are some even more shit posts um that i'm not a, that i'm afraid to post on twitter i will post on farcaster um yeah <laughs> um that's pretty much it and i i always one? wanted to start writing blogs so hopefully i will start writing it so yeah do it do it and what do you want to learn from our listeners how can our listeners help you um, any work-life balance advice would be appreciated. Yeah. yeah. I also like, um, if I feel like also writing or how, including you two as well, like how, how people are able to read a book is amazing to me because I haven't been able to read a book for like years. Um, I bought a bunch of books that I, I think are interesting. Um, I'm really trying to read it, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm a very <laughs> like... TikTok and like social media sucker, but um, I hope to like sit down and read a book. So any advice? Please, I also need this advice. I can only consume uh, education more on YouTube and less from a book. And I have like a stack of books that I bought. So I also want that advice. 
Wait, I remember Jackie. You started a book reading club on Telegram before. Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, the same book is still literally right behind me. I am, I think, one third way through. And for context, this book club was started in、uh, late 2021, and we're in 2023. <laughs> so I would not say we made much progress there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one thing will be helpful. I read a lot of books when I was.、Uh, When I was on the like the long haul international flight, I actually read、uh-huh. a lot of books when I was on flight because I think my eyes got super itchy when I look at the screen. But reading books actually helped me to fall asleep, especially when you're on a twenty hour flight. <laughs> so I'll be like read the book a few pages and I'm like, okay, I want to fall asleep, and then go wake up by the like a、uh, flight attendant, and then you started eating and then read books again. I actually managed to finish a few books on the flight. Nice, nice. We'll all just book flights and then go places <laughs> that we can read books. <laughs> all right,、okay. thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Thank you. This is so fun,、uh, and yeah, thanks for inviting me. I really like this podcast mission. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Journey of the Unordinary. If you haven't already, please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Also, if you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, please share it. If you like our conversation, please help rate it and give us a review so others can discover the podcast and join us on the same adventures. Join us next time as we carry out intimate conversations with our unordinary guests to discover their journeys to where they are today. See you next week.